Welcome to Community Hope Podcast. We pray that the Word of Christ would dwell in you richly as you listen and that you would be encouraged in Christ. Heavenly Father, open our hearts to your Word. Please open my lips. Thank you that, that you are here with us and uh, speak into all our lives. Thank you, Jesus, for what you continually do, that although you died, you rose, and you said, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Amen? Amen. So we're continuing this last word look at the last words Jesus spoke. And years ago, I was uh, talking to a guy, and sometimes I ask people, so tell me, how did you come to faith? Tell me, you know, your, your journey, your story. And he said, you know, it was a normal Christmas Eve service. I think I was there because my kids were doing something. I forget, you know, exactly. He said, but something happened inside my heart on that day. It may not have happened to anybody else, but it happened to me, and I was changed. I was transformed at a, at a Christmas Eve service. And isn't it funny sometimes how you can sit through a message and you'll be like, man, that really hit me. And then you talk to somebody and they're like, uh, what did they talk about again? Right? Or somebody hears the gospel and their life is changed, but right next to them, nothing's going on. Right? Nothing's happening. And I thought about that when I read this section of scripture with the two criminals on the cross. I'm going to read this section from the Bible, and if you have a Bible, feel free to follow along if you want to use one that's in the chair. It's, sometimes it's nice not to just see it on the screen, but to see it in the book. So I'm going to read Luke 23, starting at verse 33. Luke 23, starting at verse 33, and it goes like this. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, and the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him soured wine and saying, If you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged rallied at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the, others rebu- but the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God? Since you're under the same sentence of condemnation, for we indeed, ju- for we indeed justly, For we receive the due reward for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And here's the words for today. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. So why did one guy get converted and the other guy didn't? Isn't that kind of funny? Now, frankly, I can't answer that question, right? I mean, I, I, because I, I can show you, and I think there's a lot to learn at what's going on in their lives and what we see, but I, I don't know why some people, he, you know, respond to the gospel and another person doesn't. 
I, I, I don't know. It's a bit of a mystery. But here is how I see the two people playing out. First, what I see is the hard-hearted criminal is influenced by his surroundings, by his people, by his culture. And look what's happening. You've got everybody sneering at Jesus. I mean, you have people that don't even get along, right? The Romans didn't get along with the Jews, but look here. They all agree on one thing. Jesus should be mocked and ridiculed. And the people stood by looking on, and the rulers, so the Pharisees, the Sadducees, you know, the, the chief priests who were there, they sneered at him. You know, save yourself, because if you're the Messiah, you can get yourself off the cross. If you raise somebody from the dead, you can get yourself off the cross. And then the soldiers, they chime in and mock him, and they give him uh, sour wine, and they say, if, if you're the king of the Jews, you know, that's what the inscription that was on the cross put up there, you know, save yourself. And then, of course, the criminal says, are you the Christ? Save yourself and get me down from this cross. Save me, right? And it's just so kind of interesting how they're all like ganging up on Jesus. They're all crying out. They're all ridiculing him. But he was strongly influenced by his cultural teachings and his cultural understandings. Like, what, what did they see? What did the culture understand? You know what they understood? That cursed is anyone who is hang, hung on a tree. So this guy can't be the Messiah because no Messiah would be cursed. This is what Deuteronomy says. If a man has committed a crime punishable by death and he's put to death and you hang him on a tree, his body shall remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day for a hanged man is cursed by God. He knows that. The they know it. This is what they teach. This is what the culture teaches. The Romans would say, well... Sure, they may not believe the Jewish teachings, but they're like, no leader is going to be cursed. No leader is going to be hung on a tree. No, a leader, that, that, that's not how leaders are. So he's not somebody to be followed, right? And, and this is what he believed. And, and I think the problem is, is back then and to this day, the gospel doesn't make sense, right? I mean, it's crazy when you start thinking about the gospel. You know, might makes right in our world, but the gospel is... Strength is weakness. Strength, I mean, the, the gospel it has to be spiritually understood or you don't understand it at all. Now, we do an Easter egg hunt uh, every year. You know, I don't know how many years Jim and Linda have stuffed all those eggs, and I think they're doing 4,000 eggs this year. God bless those guys. And so we uh, have a postcard mailing that's gone out, and please invite your friends and neighbors and uh, whatever. There's postcards at the Connection Center and the back for us to take and invite people. And they look like that, or they look like this. So we send a postcard out, and we invite them to the Easter egg hunt, and we invite them to Easter. But I also, I don't like to send a postcard out without the gospel. Because I, I don't want to send a postcard out that goes, our church is better than your church, na na na, you should come, right? You, you know what I mean? I just don't think that's a good postcard. Let me see if I, uh, I might have missed let me see if I can find my... There it is. Um, so I wrote this, and we put it on the back of the postcard. Uh, Just as children delight in hunting for eggs at Easter, we're delighted to seek the treasure found in knowing Jesus. To know Jesus is to know the one who was rich but became poor. Though he was a king, he served. Though he was the greatest, he made himself the least. 
He triumphed over sin, not by taking up power, but by sacrificial service, all out of love for us. That, this stuff doesn't make sense, does it? Kings come in, they ride on mighty horses, and they wipe out the enemy, right? Russia is bigger, and they, right, might makes right in the world, but not when it comes to the gospel. Jesus overcomes death, how? By death, by weakness. And, and this is the king we worship. This Easter, I said, if you already have a church, attend it, right? You want somebody who reaches to go, oh, Jesus, I'm going to connect back to my congregation. But if you don't, you know, you're welcome to join us on Sunday. The gospel doesn't make sense. They didn't get it. The, the, the disciple, early disciples didn't get it either. They were confused by it. And, and, yet, um, and yet, it's true. And I couldn't help but think that if you and I are going to going to live the Christian life in this world, our culture is going to speak. There's going to be voices coming from the culture. And if you say certain things or live certain ways or believe in the gospel, you're going to be thought of many times uh, as like, oh, you know, you're going to be marginalized or whatever. You're going to be canceled because, oh, you believe the gospel, right? And the gospel is offensive to everybody. In the Western world, we believe marriage is, in, in the gospel, we believe marriage is between one man and one woman, and that's the way it is, right? And that's where sexual activity takes place in marriage. And in our culture, if you stand for that, you might get canceled, right? Now, here's the funny thing. You go over to the Eastern world, and you say that, they're like, yeah, we agree, right? That's fine, yeah. But I'll tell you what, if you tell the Eastern people, love your enemies... They're like, what? No, 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 no. You don't love your enemies, right? You know? And in America, in the Western world, we're like, yeah, we love, love your enemies, right? Forgive, love, we love that. We're not offended by that. But in the Eastern, they're not offended by our sexual ethic, but they're offended by love your enemies. And you can get canceled for that too. I mean, or Jesus is the way. Like the gospel is mutually offensive and sometimes we have to speak and believe a different voice than what our culture is saying. So how do we do it? I like what Henry Nouwen wrote years ago. He said, Christian leaders, and I'll include you in this too, cannot simply be persons who have well-informed opinions about the burning issues of our time. Their leadership must be rooted in the permanent, intimate relationship with the incarnate word, Jesus. They need to find there the source for their words, advice, and guidance. Dealing with burning issues easily leads to divisiveness because, now get this, and I'm sure you found yourself here, before we know it, our sense of self is caught up in our opinions on any given subject. Do you ever find yourself in some conversation, and then all of a sudden you got somewhere and you're like, how did I get here, Right? You thought it would create more light than heat, and all of a sudden, your conversations have created more heat than light, and your identity and who you are, like you're so committed to your points. And he says, but when we're securely rooted in the personal intimacy with the source of life, it will be possible to remain flexible but not relativistic, convinced without being rigid, willing to confront without being offensive, gentle and forgiving without being soft, true witnesses without being manipulative. So this thief on the cross, he was influenced by his culture. We might have been too. Uh, we probably would have. But because of that, 
he missed Jesus. I think the second thing why he missed Jesus is he wanted Jesus on his terms. Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and save me as well. In other words, he's saying, Jesus, I will believe in you if you get me out of this situation, right? I will believe in you if you get me out of this situation. I think it was Tim Keller who said he doesn't want a God, he wants a personal assistant, right? It's like, God, you're almighty, all-powerful, I've got all the brains, right? I know how things should be, and if you do what I want you to do, then I'll believe in you. But can I say I'm glad that Jesus didn't listen to him? I'm not glad about, you know, them dying on the cross, but had Jesus not died on the cross, we wouldn't be here. Our sins wouldn't be forgiven. And this guy is like, Jesus, I'll believe in you. If you're the Messiah, take me down. You know, and I think so many times, so many people reject Jesus because they, they pray prayers like that. God, if you're real, you got to do what I want you to do. Then I'll believe in you. I, I remember years ago, um, my mom had pancreatic cancer and and two other ladies had pancreatic cancer at the same time. And man, my heart was broken. When was the last time you had three people uh, with pancreatic cancer? And, and I was visiting each one. I was praying with each one. And, you know, I, I remember like visiting the one person and it was like I, I entered into the Holy of Holies, you know, they, it, it just, I could just sense God's presence, you know. And, and the truth of the matter is, is my mom was the only one that lived. 16 more years and the other two ladies went home to be with the Lord and had they been praying God I'll believe in you if you save this person they're just set up for a disappointment do we know why sometimes God heals like Christy right and other people no we don't but God is God and we aren't and and when we pray like that we're saying God I know better than you we want a God that is all-powerful, but has a smaller head than ours, right? That has a smaller brain, smaller understanding than ours. And, and we just don't, we need to let God be God. And the thief on the cross didn't. And now we move into the other thief. And the other thief says, um, he, his, his first, I think, work, his first act out of faith is he gets mad at the other guy. He's hanging there in pain, and he rebukes him. And he says, don't you fear God since you're under the same sentence of condemnation? It's just kind of interesting because he brings up the fear of God from the cross. And my mind, when I read this, went to the proverb that says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Do you remember the first time you feared the Lord? Do you remember that? I remember sitting in high school, Jim Fenske was preaching, you know Jim, and I'm behind a pillar, just ignoring probably what was going on, but somewhere in there, the thought came to me, you know what, I might not, I think I'm going to live to 102, but what if I've only got a year left? I knew that I wasn't living a life for Jesus. I knew that someday I wanted to. I knew I wasn't a follower. I knew I was selfish. And I thought, I'm going to get this going, you know, seven, eight, ten, down the road, right? On a mountain. That was my vision. On a mountain somewhere, I'm going to commune with the Lord. And the fear of the Lord started moving me in God's direction. What if I don't have that much time? 
Do you, have you ever feared God? Have you ever thought about that? Was there a time in your life that the fear moved you? Now, now, the interesting thing is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, but I don't think it's the end of wisdom. See, I think the e end of wisdom is here when John writes, there is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. You see, if you're a Christian, Jesus took the full wrath of God for you and for me. And although we may have some suffering on this earth or will have some suffering on this earth, earth it is nothing compared to the punishment of god that jesus took for us on the cross and, and and john says the one who fears isn't made perfect in love we love because he first loved us so our fear of god is the beginning but then he moves us into this relationship with jesus where we start we start getting to know this overwhelming never-ending love of god how is that? Where are you in that? Have you feared God and has he moved you in his direction where regularly you're like, like Paul who prayed for us, may they know the height and the depth, the, the, the vastness of your love. I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open, that you could know that. This, this is where we move from fear into this, this great knowledge of his love. So how did they believe? Because the gospel brings salvation. How, who preached the gospel to them? Did you ever think about that? Where was the gospel? One pastor wrote this, and I think it's beautiful. He says, we know that our Lord preached a powerful gospel sermon to both robbers as he suffered between them and cried out, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. The innocent prays for the guilty. The victim prays for those who murdered him. Jesus is our priest. I mean, think about this. While offering himself on the altar of the cross, he bore the sins of the world, and he prayed for those who mocked and slandered him. He interceded for the guilty. Is, it, the priest is also the offering, offering himself. And this picture converts, converts the, the, one, the one criminal and he starts speaking up, and he starts uh, defending Jesus. And then he says, are we, are, are, are we are suffering justly? Like, we're getting what we deserve. We, we sinned, but this man has done nothing wrong. Now, as I read that, I also read some commentaries. And, and what was interesting is that they're called thieves in Matthew, Mark. They're called criminals in the Gospel of Luke. And many people believe that... They were insurrectionists. And, and we've heard that word a lot, right? If, if you watch the news, you've heard insurrectionists. And these were people who didn't want Roman rule. And they made a living by robbing people. And they stole from them. And that's how they ate. And that's how they took care of themselves. But they also then sought to injure, like, like guerrilla warfare, so to speak, the, the Romans, insurrectionists. And if you were an insurrectionist and you're hanging on the cross, by the way, if they were only thieves, that was not a crime to be hung for. And so you're an insurrectionist and you're hanging on the cross, you would go, this is unjust. Because I shouldn't be here hanging. Because the Romans shouldn't be ruling us, and I don't deserve this. But this other criminal who's been converted, it's like 
he has a bigger picture of sin. And instead of just seeing this as punishment for this action, he sees life as I deserve death because I am a sinner. And the reality is, is this is a place where all of us need to go regularly. Like regularly, we need to go, Lord, I'm a sinner. I pray things like, Lord, there's bear traps out in the woods of life, and I will put my feet in them unless you guide me, right? Lord, I'm a dumb sheep, and I'll go, oh, look, there's a wolf. Let's check it out. I'm like, Lord, you taught us to pray, lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. Today, lead and deliver me. I need you today. I'm a sinner, Lord, and I need you. I need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. And the more I know I'm a sinner, the more I appreciate the gospel. And this man is knowing he's a sinner. And you and I need to know it. Because there's grace and strength in daily saying, Jesus, I'm a sinner. Wash me, forgive me, make me new. And then you have this wonderful message right in your heart, right in your lips. And he's going to come out of your mouth and you're going to be talking to others about him. And he looked at Jesus, this man who knew he's a sinner, and he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Now, the disciples thought Jesus was going to usher in an earthly kingdom like David. But this guy sees something much bigger. Isn't this crazy? He's on the cross. He gets, he gets the kingdom of God better than anybody else. And my mind went to this verse uh, where Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and he goes, truly, truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless he's born again. The thief on the cross is born again. Here he is, and he sees the kingdom of Jesus, not of this world. Is that not beautiful? And he's, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And I started thinking about seeing the kingdom of God and being born again. Here's little Caleb being baptized. And can I say some people... It, who are raised in the family of God, in the church of God, they may have epiphanies as they grow, but they just look back and go, you know, I've, I've always been a Christian. I was raised in the family, right? And, and I, I think about how children are born. Little Caleb doesn't know what family he's a part of, right? He's just, I am just happy here, right? But you teach them. You teach them their identity. And they grow up into who they are in Christ. I think of one of the church fathers. This guy was uh, discipled by Polycarp, who was discipled by John. Yes. So, right, so you have like this connection. Some would say that he was converted by the preaching of the apostles. And he stands up on the day he was martyred. 86 years I have served him. Guess how old he is? 86. This guy saw God active in his life as an infant. How from infancy you've known the Holy Scriptures to make you wise unto salvation. And how can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? Some people have that experience. Others, like the thief on the cross, and like me, we're like, we are dead in our trespasses and sins, and we have this, this awakening, this beautiful thing going on inside of us. And one day we see life this way, and the next day we see life this way and we're born again and we we see things differently however god wants to do it he's done it in the life of the thief and he does it in our life 
And, and sometimes I believe some people are alive in Christ and somehow they walk away from him and they need to be awakened. They need to be shaken and awakened to rediscover the grace of God in their lives. And Jesus responds to the one who said, remember me. Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And I couldn't help but think, the mission of Christ, for I have come to seek and save the lost, is continuing. Like his dying breath, his last stuff, he's not stopping the mission. Anybody ever want to retire? Anybody ever want to retire? You never retire from serving God. You never retire. I mean, Jesus on the cross is still seeking and saving the lost. Wouldn't it be great if you're in the hospital and somehow God uses you in the nurses' lives, in the doctors' lives, right? Ken is singing praises when he's in the hospital and everybody starts joining in, you know. Yeah, you know, like where God wants to use you wherever you are. He's never done. You may change careers, but, but we're always his servant. And, and another beautiful picture of this is the Bible says that when somebody's converted, the angels rejoice. Talk about mixed feelings. The Savior's dying. He's converting somebody. So somehow the angels are happy and sad at the same time, right? I mean, it's, it's like, what's going... But that's what the scriptures say. They're like, Jesus, go get him. You got another one. Father, thank you so much that Jesus is reaching the lost. That someday Pastor Doug will preach on this, right? And, and then um, he says, you'll be with me. You'll be with me. And frankly, I think in all of us, there's this desire to be wanted, to be loved. We all want to be wanted. And frankly, I, I think we live with a, an unfulfilled want to be wanted. It can get filled for a little bit, but for the most part, I think it will only finally be filled in heaven. We can never find that fullness in another person or in a career or in our money or whatever we're looking to kind of fill that void. I think God leaves a hole there that we can only find in him, but it'll only be fully fulfilled when we're with him. The cheap trick song, I want you to want me, will be only fulfilled in Jesus. And then he says, you'll be with me in paradise. If you Google paradise, this is what you get. And the funny thing is, paradise means garden. You'll be with me in the garden. And we'll be back in this garden, this Eden, this beautiful time, this, this place where um, where there'll be no more sorrow. Look at this section here. Where he'll, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there'll be no more death and no more mourning. There'll be no more crying, no more pain. All the former things will pass away and he who is seated on the throne will say, behold, I'm making all things new. There'll be this merger of heaven and earth. And he said to John, write these things down. These are trustworthy and true. It's done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give spring from the spring of the water of life without payment. It's free. It's free. And, and this is what paradise will be. 
But just as there were two thieves on the cross and one, Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. When we read this section of Revelation, the Bible doesn't stop there. He paints this beautiful picture, but he also paints another picture. Uh, The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But the cowardly and the faithless and the detestable and the murderers and the sexually immoral and the sorcerers, idolaters, liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. You know, I wish that that wasn't in the Bible. Do you ever wish it wasn't in the Bible? And yet, when I read it, I can find myself on that list. Anybody ever lie before? Yeah. Yeah. Anybody ever been immoral before? Yeah. Idolaters? Yeah. You know, we, if you're truly honest with yourself, you find yourself on that list. And without the grace of Jesus, without the Lord who gives water to drink for free, The the good news is that we may be on that list, but Jesus hung on the cross for everybody who finds themselves on that list. And we're like, Lord, you took my place. You bore the cross for my lies, for my cowardliness, for my murders, for my whatever it is. The good news is to all who believe in him, he gives the power to become the children of God. I just wanted to end with this clip because I kind of liked what Billy Graham had to say because it goes along with, um, with the message. I don't like to speak on this subject, but it's a part of the Bible, and it's an important part of the teachings of Jesus Christ, and I'm not saying these things myself. I'm only passing on to you the teaching of Christ, what Jesus taught. And I do it with a broken heart. I wish there were no such thing as hell, but there is. I wish there were no such thing as sin, but there is. I wish there were no such thing as murders and wars and all that, but there is. And there is a hell, but thank God there's a heaven. There's a paradise, and that's where Jesus is. And I want to tell you tonight, I know that I'm going. The moment you read in the paper that Billy Graham is dead, you'll know that he's more alive than he's ever been before, and I'm in paradise. And I'm looking forward to it. You pray with me. Heavenly Father, thank you. I pray those words would be our words. Who reads the paper anymore? The moment you see online and put your name in it is dead is the moment you'll be in paradise in the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information about Community of Hope, go to www.cohchurch.com. God bless you today.